Psalm chapter 8. It's nine verses. Let's read it together, and then we'll dive into it. To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And so right off the bat here, we get a word to the chief musician. And the chief musician is told this is to be played on the instrument of Gath. Kind of a mystery what the, what the instrument of Gath is. Uh, there's some think that this means a group of instruments uh, that this psalm should have been sung to. Different speculations and so forth. Since we don't know for sure, I'm going with turntables. <laughs> some of you are like, never. <laughs> and then notice here a psalm of David. And indeed, uh, you know, David, the psalmist of Israel, a good majority of the psalms are written by him. A man very sensitive to the Lord and, and sensitive to the Holy Spirit who moved upon him. And just this beautiful psalm, you know, just in reading it, I mean, just great encouragement and how glorifying to the Lord uh, and, and how meaty it is. This psalm in particular, as many of the psalms are, though, is very prophetic as well. We're going to see this prophecy. Maybe some of you have already seen it or you're familiar how these prophecies were fulfilled. But there's at least two prophecies that were fulfilled during the Lord's ministry uh, that we read about here that were reiterated, uh, one, by the Lord himself during the Passion Week as he was headed to go to the cross to die for our sins, and another that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And so uh, very exciting in that, too, how that, you know, there's things in here that totally glorify our Lord and point us to the Lord. So notice verse 1 again. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You who have set your glory above the heavens. And I love this. He says, O Lord, our Lord. And indeed, tonight, is, is, is Jesus your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Amen. And isn't it glorious as we're gathered here together? Um, he is Lord. He's always been Lord. He will always be Lord. And no one will ever come against his lordship. And again, this psalm is a reflection on his power and his might and so forth. And just his vastness goes beyond all of our comprehension. And yet, he has made himself known to us, you know, even in this fallen state, to know who he is and to have a relationship with him to be able to say he is our Lord. Isn't that awesome? Yes. He's our Lord. We, we have a relationship with the God of heaven, the God who has made everything, who has sustained everything. And we know that we have that not because of ourself, not because in and of ourselves we're swell people. And God says, well, I really want to get to know that guy. Because we know we are sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And we've transgressed his law. He is holy. 
and our righteousness as a, is as filthy rags. But what a beautiful thing tonight that we can say, O oh Lord, our Lord, because the Lord himself took on the form of a man. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross of Calvary and he conquered death that whoever would call upon his name uh, would save us and he would be the Lord of our life. And so, yes, he is Lord, he is our Lord, but let me ask you, is he your Lord? And if he's not your Lord, the beautiful thing is that that can change tonight, that today is the day of salvation. And make no mistake, if you say he's not my Lord, make no mistake, you do have a Lord. We all have a Lord, we all have someone we serve. We definitely, outside of Christ, all served our own bellies, did what was right in our own eyes, came up with our own theology. Some people even say, me and God have our own thing going. Well, you have your thing going on, but God's not part of that because he shows no partiality. But the good news tonight is that this statement, O Lord, our Lord, is available to all who would indeed humble their heart and call upon the name of Christ. And that would include even the most vile sinner on his deathbed if in sincerity He'd come to the Lord, just like that thief on the cross, and say, look at me and you, talking to the other guy down there, we deserve to be up here, but he has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and remember what the Lord said, indeed, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What an awesome Lord we have. And let's not be so short-sighted that we say, well, yeah, even those folks, because we're those folks. We transgressed his law, but in his love, again, he's washed us and made that way of salvation and forgiveness. And uh, again, if he's not your Lord, you can call on him even right now, right there in your heart and, and, and do business with him and, and, and turn from whatever your Lord is and ask Jesus to be your Lord by faith. That's what repentance is and he'll meet you where you're at. How excellent is your name in all the earth. <coughs> See, whether men recognize it or not, he is Lord. <clears throat> Whether they recognize it or not, his name is excellent in all of the earth. Now, again, a lot of people, when they talk about the Lord and they use the Lord's name, it is not glorifying, glorifying him as we do, but it's taking his name in vain and using it as a curse word. But that does not negate the fact that his name is excellent in all the earth. Just like if, if tonight you wanted to convince yourself, and we've used this illustration before, there's no sun in the sky the sun's still going to be in the sky tomorrow. And even if you don't want to acknowledge the fact that his name is excellent on all the earth, that doesn't change the fact it is excellent in all the earth. Um, he fails not. He maintains and sustains it all. His mercies abound and they're new every morning. He sends the rain on the righteous and the wicked alike. He gives men opportunity to repent and come to him until the day of their last breath. His promises are yes and amen. He knows the end from the beginning. He is on the throne. The heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. And all of creation worships him and yearns for his coming to be released from the bondage that it was set under when man sinned in the garden. Indeed, his name is excellent in all of the earth. And tonight as believers who say, oh Lord, our Lord, we better recognize that. Especially in the midst of a world that is so rebellious against this truth. Let's recognize it, amen. And let's rejoice in it. And the thing is, those that don't want to recognize it, the day will come when they too will recognize it. Uh, Philippians 2.9, therefore God also has highly exalted him, <coughs> excuse me, given, his, given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the day is coming when all will recognize that he is Lord. And so the good thing to do and the smart thing to do is to recognize tonight. Because if you don't, you're going to recognize. Every knee will bow and every knee will confess, tongue will confess that Jesus, their maker, is Lord. But this is the time we have opportunity to do that out of a free will. To have that eternal life that he has available to all who would humble their heart on this side of eternity. And then notice here, it begins to set the tone for more things in this, this uh, psalm. You uh, who have set your glory above the heavens. And again, his name's excellent on all the earth. And part of, part of that excellency is that his glory is set even above the heavens that we look up and we see how mighty they are. And we see, you know what, how infinite they are and how glorious they are. And yet his glory is above even all of that, even all that we see, even you know what, all these miracles around us that are sustained by his hand, these things don't even begin to compare. They're just a thumbprint of the mighty maker who has made all those things and again sustains all those things and holds those things together and will one day even, you know what, create a new heaven and a new earth that will be, you know what, free from the, the, the tainted hand of fallen man. And so... Let's glorify him and acknowledge him in that. And I want to stop there with that because we'll come back to that thought here in a minute. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And again, we start here by looking at the excellency of the Lord and the mercy of God and the love of God and You know, God sending his own son to demonstrate his love for us on the cross of Calvary, even in our rebellion. And with that in mind, and again, considering his glory and the excellency of his name, you come to verse 2. And you know what? You look at this and you say, at least my thought was, it's sad that God would have an enemy. Who would want to be an enemy of God, the giver of life? God, the author of love. God, the author and finisher of our faith. And yet... Because God created man and even angels with free will, there are those that have chosen to rebel against him and those who have chosen to continue in that rebellion. And indeed, there are enemies of the Lord. It started with Lucifer, wanting to ascend upon high to to be like the Almighty. And we know a third of the angels went with them in that rebellion, uh, despite the beautiful way that God created them and the power he, you know, endowed upon them. Uh, in that temptation, it wasn't enough, and God put that down, and then we know soon the enemy tempted man in the garden, saying, listen, if you eat of that tree, you're not going to die. In fact, you'll be like God, and that's why he does not want you to eat of it. And man, again, did not take those thoughts captive and was caught up by that temptation and led by, you know what, his pride, and the minute he ate of that tree, he became an enemy of God by his own doing, not by God's doing, but by his own doing. And we know every man is born with a sin nature, as so many have continued to walk in that rebellion and to embrace sin over the Savior. And it's interesting, the Savior himself, again, when he had come to this earth, and that week that he was going to the cross, when we read about so much interaction that he had with his Pharisees, these Pharisees and, 
And these priests and these scribes, who the bulk of them who should have had the most knowledge of the coming Messiah in their religious mindset and self-righteousness, they were the biggest enemies of Christ. They're the ones that spurred on the crucifixion and everything else. This prophetic word was fulfilled in that time. Notice with me Matthew 21, 12. If you want to turn there quickly in your Bibles, you can. If not, it will be up here. And again, this is the Passion Week as the Lord has entered into Jerusalem. This is one of the first events that happened that week that led up to him being crucified on Friday, put in the tomb through Saturday and Sunday morning, <clears throat> resurrecting and defeating sin, death, Satan, and Hades. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the Bible says no thief will inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, that's speaking of those that embrace thievery as a lifestyle and do not want to acknowledge that as sin and come to the Lord. I know that there are more than one Christian who, after they come to Christ, they struggle with being a thief, just as all of us struggle with different sins. And you're either a thief or you're born again, and you might be a born again that struggles with thievery. But those that are thieves that reject Christ, you know what? They're going to have a place in the lake of fire. Those that are thieves in the name of God, the Bible speaks of even a, of a, of a deeper judgment for those that would cause little ones to stumble. That's where these guys were. They had taken the house of God that was supposed to be a house of prayer and glorifying God, and they were using religion to fleece people and to take advantage of them. And, and, and this is why the Word of God says, let not many become teachers. They're going to incur a stricter judgment. And you notice with these, these individuals, the Lord Jesus never held back with these people. A woman's caught in adultery and is dragged to Christ, and the Lord shows compassion on her. And when he could have picked up stones and threw the matter, <clears throat> he didn't do that. Instead, he said, you know what, go and sin no more. You know, really pointing her to himself as that way of forgiveness and salvation. These guys are doing this, though, and the Lord comes in and just wrecks the place. I mean, can you imagine the Lord coming in? He's coming in with some Holy Ghost authority, overturning the tables and, and giving these guys a whipping. I mean, he's literally like cracking the whip on them. I got a feeling more than one dude came out there with a bloody back and so forth because of what they were doing to stumble people and what they were doing. They'd made themselves blatant enemies of the Lord. Now notice verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him into the temple and he healed them. And notice when he drove out that, that spirit of, of, of manipulation and thiefery, that then the house of God became what it was meant to be, a place of healing place of refuge, <clears throat> a hospital where people could come in and get touched by the Lord. And that's what this place needs to be, not a, not, a, not a place of merchandise, but somewhere where people can come in and get ministered to, and we can bring people to get ministered to, and we can get equipped here to go out and minister to the world around us. It says, but when the chief priests and the scribes, and I put in my notes in red, enemies, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple. And notice in verse 2 of this Psalm 8, we see the enemies and we see the children, right? The children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. 
they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? So here's the enemies of the Lord. The Lord has already wrecked their whole operation. And yet they're so bold (coughs) to still come in after the blind and the lame (coughs) are being healed. Full on miracles being performed in front of them, fulfilling messianic prophecies concerning the Messiah himself. (coughs) Excuse me. And in the midst of this, the children are praying Hosanna to the son of David, save us son of David. And these guys are indignant over it. (coughs) They're more upset because their operation just got wrecked. And they're rebuking Jesus that these children are worshiping him. And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth and babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? That's a reference to this psalm. Nursing infants and babes you have ordained strength. <coughs> Excuse me, or you just got to bear with me tonight. You have perfected praise. And then, and then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and lodged there. And you kind of see the Lord saying this and doing a mic drop. He just turned around and left a full-on rebuke. And this psalm was written, you know, in hundreds of years earlier by David. And this was, there's partial fulfillments of this continually, but this was, you know, the, the major fulfillment of this psalm. The Lord went back to this psalm prophesied by David, and this was the full fulfillment of it. And again, with many prophecy, there's the ultimate fulfillment and a lot of partial fulfillments as well. And so as David wrote this, it was written prophetically knowing this time would come when Jesus was going to save his enemies, that these religious enemies who should have been the ones pointing everyone to Jesus more than anyone else, the Lord would use these infants and these babes singing praises to him to silence these men that were opposed to the grace of God and the work of the cross of Calvary. And this is a biblical truth you see throughout the word. It's 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Because these scribes and Pharisees, these guys yielded great power. Again, they're the ones that pressured the Romans into crucifying Christ. Even when Pilate was like, I don't want anything to do with this. They pressured him. Now, again, he went along. You can't say, well, peer pressure made me do it, so therefore I'm innocent. He, he, he went along, but these guys, again, had a lot of power to even manipulate the Roman government that ruled over the world. These children didn't have any power. These children really, especially as being Jewish children, and the whole economy of the Roman Empire, they, they, most of them probably weren't even considered citizens. And then on top of that, children in that place, they, they had no say in anything. We probably need a little bit more of that today because most children run their household, so that wasn't completely bad. But in the sense of they were powerless and they were weak versus this power, And yet God used them as being considered foolish and weak to silence these that were powerful and strong, though these guys really had no strength at all. And any power they had was even just given given to them by God, and they were grossly abusing it. This also goes back to Paul, who we've talked about recently as we finished 2 Corinthians there in 
2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. And basically what this comes down to is even these nursing babes, these nursing infants and babes, they represent the weak. And the weak silence the enemies of the Lord. Why? Because those that are weak and recognize it, what do they do? They put their hope in the Lord to get strength from God. And the strength of God is going to silence any enemy and any critic and anything coming against the things of the Lord. In God's perfect timing, it will always be seen and be carried out. Now notice verse 3. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you, over, you have ordained, <clears throat> what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man <clears throat> that you visit him? And this is something that we should be doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's something that I hope you do do. That from time to time, and if you don't do this, I can't encourage you enough to do it, that you just go out at night, and we're blessed because we're not living in the middle of L.A. We're blessed for many reasons for that, but we're blessed to be able to go out and we don't have a, 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 a smog dome over us, but you can look up. Even in the middle of a Tascadero, you can go down to the Vaughn's parking lot and look up and see stars. And then there's some places you can go out, and it is incredible, is it not? And you just look at the handiwork of the Lord, and no doubt when David was writing the psalm, he had to have been out in the field. I, I see him out there looking up as the Holy Spirit's moving on him to pen this, as he's writing this, considering, you know, the, the heavens and the work of his fingers, the moon and the stars, which he's ordained. Because not only has he made these things, but he's ordained where they are and how they move and they show signs and seasons and the glory of God and everything else. And, and again, I can't encourage this enough and we're getting biblical encouragement here as well to do this as well. I love Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And then consider with me a text we're familiar with, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse." And all these things are a testimony to the maker. And it's a sad thing when, you know, individuals and so much in our culture today and these younger generations even especially have been brainwashed to think that that's just the product of time plus slime and it just came from nothing. I mean, the whole thought of it is utterly ridiculous and ludicrous and I, I mean, the fact that people would stand in that and say how wise I am really just shows how foolish they are. Something came from nothing and this is all just held together and sustained by chance. And it is the enemy wanting to try to rob God of his glory and try to detract people from this witness we have all around us of the finger and handiwork 
of the mighty hand of our maker, that men would consider that and know that there's a maker and that would turn their heart to begin to grope for the Lord who absolutely will make himself known to all men that begin to grope for him and to respond to that work of the Holy Spirit. Notice this as well, he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. And I don't think that that verbiage is by mistake, fingers. You know, comparatively to a lot of the muscles in your body, the finger is small. I thought about when my kids were little, they would want to wrestle me, and I'd say, I can, I can beat you with, one, with my little finger. And they come, if you don't know, there's a pressure point right back here, and if you get them behind the ear, they'll just instantly give up. They just like collapse, because it hurts so bad. And I thought, boy, I yield a lot of power in that little finger. Of course, I'm dealing with children, and nowadays I'd probably get someone called on. There was no bruises or any markings. It was all in fun. <laughs> but think about this, the power of the Lord's finger. And I think we need to consider this because, again, the enemy of our soul, and at times out of our own hearts, we limit <coughs> the power of God. And again, what can these hands do? These hands can't do anything but the finger of God, just the little finger of God. All things are possible with him. The, the fingers of God, as you go out there and consider the heavens, the fingers of God put those things into place w- without any issue, without any resistance. <clears throat> Think about, I just cross-referenced re- fingers, and I came the finger of God and came across a few verses. In Exodus 8.18, it's when um, Moses is going before Pharaoh, and the first few plagues that come, the magicians are able to repeat those plagues. But then, I think it's the third one that comes, dust is turned into lice. And whether you know it or not, that's a picture of creation because God created us and the beasts of the field and so forth out of what? Out of dust. He created out of the dust of the earth. It is God's creative power. And Exodus 8, 18, it says, Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments, enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Now the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God, but the heart of But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. The finger of God created all that, and the finger of God gave you life. It also gave the lice life, and the fleas life, and the amoebas, and the protozoans life as well. The finger of God. Isn't that a mighty God? Think of Exodus uh, 31, 18. And and Moses had received the law, and it says, when he made an end of speaking uh, with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. And Luke uh, eleven twenty, it's when Christ is being accused of casting out demons by Beelzebub. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And there's other verses that talk about the healing hand of God and so forth. What a mighty God we have. By the finger of God, demons are cast out. By the finger of God, life is brought forth. By the finger of God, the word of God is written. By the finger of God, heaven is created and sustained. And then verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you will visit him? And think about this, how big and vast all of this is. And, and how man today, even when he says he hasn't figured out, he doesn't know anything. And yet he is mindful of every single one of us. Created in his image, fearfully and wonderfully made. Even after we sinned, he gave the promise of the Savior and he fulfilled that in dying on the cross and defeating death at his resurrection. His promise to us, they're yes and amen. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every time one falls out, 
And every time a new one grows in your ear, guys. <laughs> and Psalm 139 says his thoughts towards us outnumber the sands of the sea. So it's not just like, oh yeah, I know number 6,382,000,000. He knows you intimately. Everything about you. And the psalmist is just like tripping. All of this, and yet, what is man that you're mindful, and what is the son of man that you would visit him? Because no doubt, as David was writing the psalm, he was having a visitation from the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit moved upon him. Now we're in a place where the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He had the Holy Spirit come upon him. They had upon experiences in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings. But in Acts 2, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all men, that's because all who call upon Christ get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we are kings and priests in Christ Jesus. And so he's just rejoicing, looking at all this. But what am I made out of dust that you're mindful of me and that you visit me? You need to trip out on that. You, you, you need at some point this week to go out and lay out in your yard or on your car or something and look out and just... Just rejoice in that. Look at all this. And yet the Lord is mindful of me and the Lord has visited me and the Lord sent his son to die for me. Quick question. He's this mindful of us. How mindful are we of him in return? What do we set our minds on? I don't have time to read it, but think about Christ in Matthew 18 when he was talking about going to the cross and Peter jumped up. I forbid it, Lord. And remember what Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And how often are we just mindful of the things of men? I mean, we, we got to take care of business here, but the Lord needs to be in our thoughts. We are called to have our minds set on things above. Philippians talks about setting your minds on the things that are pure. We're called to take all our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We're to set our mind on humble things, on lofty things, and so forth. And make no mistake, whatever goes in your mind will dictate much of your life. That's where the Lord says, do not be deceived. Whatever you reap, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And if you just want to sow in your mind thoughts not mindful of God, there's going to be a reaping in that. Verse 5, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with, the glory, with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Now again, man was made in the image of God, and we read, and I'm not going to read it, we've looked at this many times in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, he gives man after he's made him dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and so forth. He says, you have dominion over this. We know Satan came along and tempted man, and when man basically shifted his lordship from being Christ to the enemy... He forfeited much of that dominion. We've looked at this many times in Genesis and Revelation over the last few years. Remember when Satan was tempting Christ? Matthew records it in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. He takes Jesus to a high point and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you bow down to me and worship me, I'll give you these things. And Jesus could have said, you don't know this. You don't have the deed to any of this. But he said, he said, away with you, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him you shall serve. And then 1 John 5, 
19, we know we are of God, speaking of those in Christ who put faith in Christ, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Why? Because man forfeited that dominion when he said, I'll be my own God, when he bought the lie. So there is a dominion that's been given to man. He forfeited much of it. There is still a type of dominion in that God still has created man to be the stewards of this earth. And he didn't create men for the birds of the air or for the, the you know, three-legged toad and the spotted owl and, you know, all this stuff that, you know, men today want to be subjected to. It's the other way around. But this is where Christ comes in. It's another prophetic word. This speaks of Christ. Because in a sense, Jesus himself, though he has always been God and will always be God, when he took on the form of man, he was made in the image of man, though he wasn't a created being, but he took on the form of a man. So in a sense, he came and was made into a man, though he was always God. But unlike fallen man who gave up dominion, Jesus came to take it back. And notice here the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 2.5, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and have set him over the works of your, of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So we forfeited it, and the Lord came back, came and what did he do he took it back and as we saw there when we went through revelation those sealed judgments that come in revelation many believe and i believe that that's the deed of the earth no one was able to open it the lord already has it and at that point he's going to open it and he's going to fully take back dominion and then rule and reign for a thousand years and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and indeed as it says here indeed all things are under his feet as soon Again, he's going to open up that deed of the earth. And so this is a prophetic word that David prophesied that Jesus Christ fulfilled. Notice here verse 7. And it's interesting because this has already been established, but now it gets specific about some things. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. And so all things, again, talks about being dominion given to man and we see as we compare this with scripture we see man forfeit, forfeited it the lord took it back but it's interesting now he gets specific about these things and what we're being told here is that the beasts of the field the sheep the oxen the birds of the air the fish of the sea they're subjected to man not the other way around and this is important because we just read there in romans about the things being created to show there's a creator. Then it goes on to talk about those that worship the creation instead of the creator. And, and we're, we're heavy into that today. And we got to understand that these things were created for us, not the other way around. They were created for us to enjoy. And yes, do I dare say it, they were also created for us to eat. 
They weren't created for us to serve and worship them. Now, if you're here tonight and you say, I don't eat those things, and you're a vegetarian or a vegan by choice or health reasons, good for you. Enjoy your freedom in Christ. I'll have my double-double over here, and you can enjoy your salad. And listen, I love salad too, fruits and vegetables. They are wonderful. And praise God, we have freedom in Christ to be one or the other. Amen? But if you're here tonight and you're a vegetarian or vegan because you put creation above man, you have been deceived by demons. And there are certain people, especially in the vegan world, that's the case. When God says, I made these things for you, but they don't partake because they put those things above man and think they have more importance than man. That's a doctrine of demons. Oh, Steve, you're so opinionated. Not my opinion. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit of God, whose name is excellent in all the earth and His glory is above the heavens. Now the Spirit expressly says, in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And yet it has to do with a world that does not want to look up and acknowledge the glory of God when it is clearly seen. And a world that does not want to acknowledge the fact that man forfeited dominion, but Christ came to win it back and indeed did that. And a world that is rebellious, that would rather go around giving praise and worship to these things that God made versus the God who made it. This is what the Holy Spirit says. Now, again, we have freedom and let's exercise our freedom and rejoice in it. But these doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits are running amok. And boy, there are many people that are listening to them. Are they or are they not? I mean, someone was telling me tonight their job site got closed down and they put a mile buffer between where they could work and where this bald eagle was seen. That's just utterly ridiculous. Now, again, this isn't to say we shouldn't be good stewards. It's not to say that, that, that we should just trash everything because we haven't been called to that proverbs twelve ten: a righteous man regards the life of his animal but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel and so if you say i got dominion so i'm just going to go torture my dog well you're just a punk wicked man if you're doing that but if you say i got to raise a pig and we're going to kill it and eat it then you give thanks and you say lord i thank you for that animal's life and i give you glory and now we're going to sit down here and we're going to enjoy some bacon and for those to say, don't do that, because that's above man, and you should worship that, that's a doctrine of demon, and it's a deceiving spirit. Now, again, if you're a Christian that says, I don't want to eat bacon, uh, not the best meat for me, um, a pig's called a pig for a reason, but I acknowledge some eat it, and it's here for my enjoyment, I just re refuse, I just don't want to, praise God, again. And I, I, you know, some laugh, but I, I, fool, I praise God for your freedom. Again, God's also given us fruit from the trees and vegetables in the field. Go eat them and enjoy them and honor God. But don't move into this doctrine of demons. 
Because then you're glorifying that pig over God. And, and, and that is not what we've been called to. And that is really even not giving God the glory due Him. It's worshiping this stuff. And it's not even having the proper order of things where man was created over those things. Those things are meant to bless us. Those things are meant to serve us. Those things are there for our enjoyment. It is not to be the other way around. But we're living in a day when men are abandoning the ordinances of God. They're abandoning the proper dominion. They're abandoning marriage. They're abandoning, again, gender. They're abandoning all these ordinances of God. And the Bible speaks of that being reflective of this end time age that we are living in. Verse 9, and notice he closes how he starts, O Lord, our Lord. And again, is he your Lord? Can you say amen? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And hopefully after going through this and spending, you know what, 40 minutes or so on it, all the more we can say, indeed, his name is excellent. He is an excellent God. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is mighty. And I would just hope, again, we can leave here tonight more in awe of him and more in love with him. And hopefully just even more knowledgeable of his word and the way he has put things forward. And again, seeing these prophecies that Christ fulfilled. Here's Jesus in Psalm 8. Isn't that awesome? Heavenly Father, we just bless you tonight. We praise you. And we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you, Jesus, that you fulfilled these prophetic words, uh, Lord, which were spoken even specifically concerning your visit here on earth and your ministry here and the children that would worship you and silence your enemies. And Jesus, you coming in the form of a man, humbling yourself and dying on the cross to rule and reign and to take back that which man even forfeited to the evil one. And so indeed, God, we glorify you, we honor you, we just thank you that you are mighty. We thank you, Lord, that we can go out even tonight and just see, Lord, uh, these things that were made by your hands, God. And let us indeed rejoice in those things we, we see and we smell, we hear, we, we touch, we taste, um, that are gifts from God Almighty. And let us indeed give praise and thanksgiving to you in all of those things. And uh, indeed, all the more reign over our life as our Lord. And tonight, listen, we talked about the gospel talked about his lordship, what Christ did on the cross. If you don't know him tonight, listen, I can't tell you enough how much Jesus loves you. Um, the fact that he made that way for you to have forgiveness. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. And if he is your Lord and Savior, he absolutely wants to have a daily relationship with you. And to, to, to have you abiding in him that you would bear much fruit. And to walk in the joy of the Lord and the love of God and the confidence that a believer so doing so has because Jesus is their Lord and he is the rock. And so tonight, if you don't know him, listen, call on his name. He will meet you where you are. Turn to him to be your Lord. And if you've drifted, let's get back to praising him, amen, and drawing near to him. And so bless our fellowship here tonight, the rest of our evening, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.